You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Like I want to explain worship to you, but it's very hard to do that. Um, worship is such a high value of ours. It's one of our high pri- highest priorities. We just want to worship Jesus. He asks us to, he longs for us to, and when we do, our hearts respond. And I, I guess I want to say it's always for him. It's always about him. It's not for us. It's not for our benefit. It's not what we get out of it. It's not, oh, I like that song. That one is good for me. It's for him because he asks us to do it. And it, it, he manifests his presence, though, among us as we worship. And some of you will have found that particularly this morning. and be like, what just happened there? Because in his goodness, there's an overflow and there's an outpouring of his goodness upon us and um, I I don't just find it in these environments I think when we worship Jesus something changes it's not just a song thing it's how we live our lives but actually sometimes it is a song thing because he asks us to do that and so I found myself just this last couple of weeks I often listen to one song I think maybe I'm quite rare like that but I just listen to one song all the time so the other week I was just driving along 20 30 times I'm just listening to this one song and the Lord ministers to me and then I find myself pulling over and I'm just crying before him and then this morning I found the same because that one song actually has been that song Highlands that was just completely undone in the presence of God. And the song that followed, I can't even really remember it to be honest, but something about faith and loving him and following him. And I'll go again, I'm in again, let me, Jesus, I'm for you again. And now somehow I've got to stand in front of you and speak having just been completely undone in his presence. And don't we want to be those people that are just undone in his presence? I, this is not a particularly present phrase. I apologize to the newcomers but the phrase I often think is you've got to let the snot drop okay and right down there be warned there's some snot but 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 what 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 I mean is when when we cry out to God and we give of ourselves fully to him we're changed and transformed and something happens in that process that we're built up we're um, transformed we become more like him and it happens so often in worship that would be the story of the last 20 25 years of my life that I've encountered God and I've been changed from some of the the the, the pains and the hardships and the chips and the burdens that maybe I've carried and that my and unless I'm transformed I my pain is transformed I transmit my pain and so it clashes into other people but the more I worship him the less I have of those things and the more I become like him and I felt I actually felt it's important to say that to you because we've got to fight for those moments we've got to fight for those times and I'm delighted to be with you in person worshiping Jesus because there's something that is significant about what he does in our hearts and minds in those moments anyway I didn't no idea why I was going with that but I went there. Um, this this is week three of a series that I've been doing called the Outward Focus Church, and we want to have a vision beyond human capability. We aren't um, just believing for what we're seeing; we're believing for something and working for something so much further and way beyond that. And if you've missed any of it, I, I'd encourage you to catch up. I believe that the Lord gathers the people together and he takes them on a journey together. And within that series I've been doing, today I just, I've called it this, digging wells, not building walls. Another way of kind of phrasing that would be to say that we want to step into the kingdom story, not the church story. We want to see what God wants to do in this city. For those of you that like nice, tidy points that all begin with the same letter, which let's be honest, I think it's now only me 
who is standing with that. None of these do and none of these will. Um, but, but I guess what I wanted to say is there isn't an obvious point. It kind of all blends and flows together. But if there were to be two, it would be this. It's that God has a kingdom and that he is the king of the kingdom. I want to talk about the kingdom and I want to talk about him being the king of the kingdom. Um, some of you will also be aware, I think I've harped on about this a few times, about um, centred sets and bounded sets. And if you've missed that, you're going to have the privilege of me delving in again today. If you've heard it before, I'm sorry, we're going there again. Because I think this is really important, particularly for this series, that we consider our worldview as we look to be an outward-focused church. Now, in, in theory, it's so much easier to have the mindset of a bounded set. It allows you to know who is in and who is out. Let's just imagine that we've got a we've got a circle and if you do certain things you're inside that circle and if you don't do certain things you're outside of that circle so um, let me just explain it this way now this may seem to some of you a little bit random but I promise hopefully eventually we might get there but um, many years ago I used to work on a farm let, let me just paint the picture of that farm there were two farms okay and one day I was tasked with moving the bull from one farm to the other farm by walking it down the road. Not a good idea if anybody tries to do that. But the farmer said the best way to keep the bull calm was to stick 10 cows around him, okay? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I've got to tell you, I'm not an expert in the field, but with hindsight, I'd say it's a bad idea. So anyway, the farmer is out front in front of the bull with his tractor in the safety of his tractor, stopping the bull going beyond him. And uh, me and my mate are stood behind the bull and these 10 cows with a pitchfork, okay? And... Um, so that's what's going now was what are the chances that a horse in a field at the side of us would get spooked as we're passing jump the hedge and end up in the middle so we've got a bull 10 cows and a horse and the horse is is less compliant than the one and the 10 so basically they all do a u-turn and um, they're supposed to be from the direction the men are be traveling and they start heading at me and my mate at significant pace now we prepare to do what i think all of would do is basically run away bravely but in but in the meantime we try and make ourselves look big and you know try and scare it back making a lot of noise now I tell you if a bull is coming at you that that is not a natural choice you want I don't know if any of you have been in that position just don't go there don't be in that place it wasn't pretty but the in between the guy and the tractor and us a bit further down the road and all these like bull and cows and horse and a couple of dogs and everything coming at us um, there's this beautiful, picturesque... Oh, it's, it's outstanding. It's like middle of nowhere, this beautiful country cottage, right? And uh, we've got, like, this procession now that Noah's going to be proud of. So we've got a bull, ten cows, a horse, a couple of, like, stray dogs who knew where they've come from. But anyway, they've, they've, they're coming at us, and thankfully they divert from us, but straight at this garden gate of this beautiful, picturesque country cottage thing. And, and they basically just knock it down. They enter into this person's garden and start clashing into his cars and all of that, trashing most things, leaving an unbelievable amount of calling cards. Now, I, I say that for those of you who don't like to talk about that kind of thing, but do you know what I mean? It's like cow pats, basically. And there's, there's a lot of them, and some of these cows needed to adjust their diet. But I say all of that because what I'm trying to say is if you didn't get my point, I am no expert in farming 
farming, okay? But I want to give you a farming illustration because I think my, my understanding is that the majority of cattle farmers in the UK have a defined piece of land that they rear their cattle on. They know their cattle is theirs because they bought them or they raised, they were like, some gave birth and all of that, but let's not go there. Anyway, they mark them with a bit of spray paint so that they know that they're theirs and they can identify them. Then they stick a fence around them so that they stay in that defined area. And I highly recommend never transitioning one group of cattle to another farm because it just doesn't work well. But in theory, I would say for most farmers, the cattle stay in that field. There's a fence that may need repairing occasionally to keep them in the field. You invest in things to stop them escaping and you hope that they don't venture out of their boundary. And it also stops other cattle from other fields and other farmers coming onto or into your land. But it didn't work in this case with a horse. But either way, they're either in or they're out. There is a clearly defined boundary and they're defined criteria for that cattle being in that field. Some animals mix together but others don't. And I think that's probably how it works for most farmers. I don't know for certain, as you can guess, I've no proven background in farming, but I'd say that the farmer puts those cattle in that field based on a few things. He owns them, um, it's, he, they're the animals that he wants to rear. Now that's an incredibly clunky analogy, but I kind of couldn't not tell you that story. But I think that's often how church works. We have, or you may think, we have a clearly set of boundaries and criteria that you need to be either be in the circle or out of the circle. Some of you might be familiar with some of those things, particularly if you've come from other church backgrounds aside from the vineyard. You might have found words like confirmation or attendance or baptism, all that kind of thing. Now, the absolute opposite is true with a centred set. There isn't a clearly defined boundary, but what makes the difference is direction of travel. There's no neat, tidy line drawn to create a circle of whether or not you're in or out. You've just got a few arrows that point in various directions, and the ones that are pointing towards the middle of that centre are on with you and on that journey. There may be different starting points, but the direction of travel is the thing that is key. Now, having warmed you up to my farming analogies, let me just give you one more. In a couple of countries of the world, places like America and Australia, they, they would be good examples of this. They have vast masses of land that have less clearly defined land boundaries. They wouldn't farm in the way that we do here in the UK. So what a farmer does is he digs a well and he sticks it in the middle of the land and that becomes a precious water source in the middle of nowhere. And although some of the livestock may stray, they're never going to go too far because they're always going to come back to the water source. The consequences of not doing that are obvious, I won't unpack them. But that's a centred set. Now, for those of you that are a bit lost and a bit confused with all this farming chat, let me, let me just make this really clear. We want to be, and we are, a centred set church. We have, and we will always have, much hard, sorry, less hard and less tight and less clearly defined things that describe whether or not you're in or out. We might talk about a few things that are helpful around membership, but membership really is involvement. And you may have heard me say some of those things like come regularly on a Sunday, join a small group, get on a team, give financially, those kind of things. But it's wider than that because it's about vision and it's about values. And people 
people are either heading towards the vision and the values or they're heading away from them. It's less about defining and prescribing, it's more about direction of travel. Now, a lot of the time, that's going to mean that we have to hold on to some pretty significant tensions because we're not going to swing one way or the other way. We're going to try and hold this middle ground. We often call it the radical middle. But ultimately, as I'm sure you would hope, we're going to put Jesus on display in the middle. We're going to share a common affection, interest and pursuit and allegiance of him. Now, why, why am I telling you all of that? Because to be an outward-looking church, we have to have the mindset of building wells, not building walls. And I believe for a centred set, we're going to build wells rather than walls. We're going to put our time and attention into extending the kingdom rather than building the church. The church is a byproduct. Now, hear me right. Honestly, I love the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. I'm all in but I'm not trying to maintain something. We're, we're not trying to build an audience in the church. We're trying to build an army that's going to transform the city. Now, being all in means that in reality, we're all out because we want to be internally strong, but externally focused. We've got a purpose and a mission. We aren't building a church that's going to be this cozy thing to come to. We're building a church to resource and equip each other to serve the city. In fact, we aren't even actually building the church because Jesus is building the church. It's just the language I use in the moment. But being centered set in a mindset allows us to reach beyond ourselves and it allows us to focus on the kingdom. And when we explore the stories that Jesus told, we find that the kingdom plays a significant central role to all of it. The word kingdom is mentioned 152 times in the Bible, in the New Testament, is mentioned 116 times in the Gospel. By contrast, the word church is mentioned just three times in the Gospels, and all of them are in the book of Matthew. The first public words of Jesus and John the Baptist in Matthew were to announce the kingdom. Let me just read some of them to you. It says, Matthew 3, verse 1, in the days of John the Baptist, so in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message, which was repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew often calls it the kingdom of heaven, but it's described as the kingdom of God. Let me read to you from Matthew 4:17, just over the page. It says this, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One of the requests of Jesus that he taught when he taught us to pray was this, Matthew 6, verse 10. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom was the central message to the apostles' teaching, not just to what Jesus said, but then to the apostles. Let me read it to you. It says this in um, Matthew 10. Verse 7, it says, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. It's the kingdom. That's what it means to live out and to look like a kingdom people. And then bookended in the book of Acts. We pick it up in Acts 1, verse 3. Again, let me read it to you. It says this.
During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Again, the reference is there to the kingdom of God. Acts 28, verse 30, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming that the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Love that final phrase of that. Nobody tried to stop him. That's how the book of Acts ends. But it's all about proclamation of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul mentioned the kingdom no fewer than 16 times in his writing and teaching. It's a really, really big deal. And yet somehow, so often, we miss it or we water down its significance. We often relegate it to some kind of future residence of what may one day be or what we may one day see. We've got to learn to extend the kingdom of God and that being the story rather than the church story. Now, I've got to say that's not going to come cheaply. We've got to be ready for that and aware of that. If at times you've been finding some resistance to you living where the, the reign and rule of Jesus is central in your life, which is ultimately what the kingdom of God is, if you found some resistance or hardship or backlash, then 100%, yes, there will have been. Because, listen, I don't want to dwell on this for long, but we need to have our eyes open because the enemy often comes at us. And he often, I would say, comes in four ways. There's way more, but I just wanted to mention four today because I think it's helpful for you to have your eyes open. Identity, community, sanity, and expectancy. He's going to come after your identity. I don't fit in. Who am I? What am I about? He's going to try and trip you up and cause you to have a lifestyle of comparison and insecurity. So he's going to come after your identity. He's going to come after your interaction with community. One of the primary spaces that we're shaped and formed and discipled is in community. So guess what he's going to come after? He's going to cause and try and seek out relational conflict. She said, he said. You'll find relentless opportunities to feel irritated or to feel miffed, to feel belittled, to feel overlooked. And it will cause you to want to step out and step back. You've got to look out for that because it will be a key reason that you wouldn't want to be part of something, one of these gatherings or a small group or an interaction with others because of those things. And that's what he comes after. He'll come after your sanity. And I don't say that lightly. He'll come after your mindset. Because if he can wobble you or cause you to live in a place of vulnerability or doubt, that's what he's going to do. And then finally, and there's many others, but he'll come after your expectancy. As long as he can just keep you ticking over. Okay is okay. Being mediocre. It's nice to sing the odd song, isn't it? But it's not really going to change us. It's kind of just nice singing, isn't it? I know we're worshipping Jesus. He's going to dial down your expectancy of what he will do even this morning among us because ultimately his role is to kill and to destroy and that is part of the kingdom's clashing. If we believe in the kingdom of God, we've got to believe that there's also going to be a resistance to it so we have to be ready and we have to be alert to it. Let me read to you Acts 17 verse 5. It says this, But some of the Jews 
were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start to riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas, so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead, and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here, disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home and they're guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king, a king named Jesus. See, the kingdom and the kingship of Jesus was an affront to the kingdom of Caesar, and it was enough to warrant his death and the persecution of the disciples. The story of Jesus and his bride, the church, involves Satan rivaling for our affection and our allegiance. Of course he is, because the kingdom is where God is reigning, and there is a clash of those kingdoms. If Jesus is reigning in your life, as it would say in Luke 17, 21, it says, the kingdom of God is already among you, there's gonna be a rivaling for that. The kingdom is simply life as God intended it, and so of course that's the exact place the enemy is gonna go for. I hope that's helpful just to frame that and say that, but let me just jump back into kind of what I really want to talk about. We're an outward-focused, outward-looking church. We're a kingdom-focused people whose mentality is a centered set. So, okay, what are the implications? Well, a bounded set would worry that the world is going to change the church. A centered set would spend time thinking how the church is going to change the world. You see, our focus would shift from trying to get the whole city into the church to trying to get the whole church into the city. It's not you go to church, it's you realize wherever you are, you carry the kingdom of God. In the broadest sense, anytime we're involved in making the world more reflective of the kingdom of God, that will ultimately be something that is seeing the kingdom come in those places because we're involved in kingdom work. Today, I guess I want you to see that the little things that you do in life are part of the kingdom. It's a daily choice and a daily habit that is developing for all of us. So let me explain it this way. Imagine, imagine this. Many years ago, I'm working in the fire service, and the fire, st- the fire service, the fire station is on three levels. Okay, you've got the ground floor where the fire engine is, you've got the first floor where the locker rooms and toilets are, and you've got the third floor where it's like a training room and the kitchen and a lecture room and all of that. And they went through this spell for some reason where they just became obsessed about as being rehydrated. Everything was like, you've just got to drink more. Don't like, don't take another step till you've had a drink. And um, I'm kind of slightly overstating that, but it felt like that. And um, anyway, this guy used to come once a week in this big van thing, and he'd deliver those massive bottles of water. Do you know the ones I mean? They're where they're like, they go into the machine thing with the cup. Anyway, he'd, dr- he'd deliver about 20 of these massive bottles. Anyway, the machine for him is on the top floor, and the guy would pull up in his, in, in his water bottle truck, and everyone would just lean out the window and watch this poor guy lug his 20 bottles up the stairs whilst we watched. And he, he said to me one day, he's like, this is the hardest place I've ever been to. And I'm like, I'm sure it is, not just because of the three floors, but because he's literally got everyone laughing at him, mocking him, and he's dripping. Like, I, I don't want to kind of overstate that. Some of you don't like chatting about that kind of thing, but he is like 100% wet free from doing this job. And... Um, Anyway, it's quite hard, I think, to go against the grain and to go against 
culture. But in that moment, I was like, sack that. The, the, this, this is a simple thing, but I think it's a kingdom thing. I, I said to him, mate, I'm going to give you a hand. And so a few weeks later, I gave him a hand. A few weeks later, some of the other guys gave me a hand, giving him a hand. Now, a few weeks later, one of my mates says to him, mate, just stick him there. We'll, we'll take him up when we go up. And a few weeks later, he sits in his van he didn't even get out whilst everyone takes them out and does it for him. And he said, he said to me, give me the little wink, he's like, my hardest job has now become my easiest job. Now, a small step towards kingdom and kingdom living can make a huge difference when a seed starts to grow because we dig wells rather than build walls. And I want to encourage you today to consider the little steps that you might make to change the culture because it's more than culture. You're extending the kingdom. People around, all around the world, people all around the city, people all around your everyday life are aware that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. You don't have to go far for somebody to tell you that, to tell you that something is broken. Something is not as it's supposed to be. We bump into conversations like that all the time. I bumped into somebody the other week at the petrol station. A couple of like Uber drivers have, have gathered together and they, they're, they're having a hard time because everyone's rushing to get petrol. And you could see the deep frustration that they were feeling over that. You get those moments all the time when you walk into conversations where somebody is saying the world is not right or it's not as it's supposed to be. Different issue, but it's often the same awareness. Something isn't as it's supposed to be. You know, N.T. Wright refers to those moments as having an awareness of the echo of God that reminds people that something is fractured and something is flawed and something is not as God created it to be. And in those moments, the kingdom can break in. That's why we always say in crisis, you often see the kingdom extended. Uh, N.T. Wright describes four echoes. He says there's a longing for justice, there's a quest for spirituality, there's a hunger for relationships, and there's a delight in beauty. And I would say you can see those things so often in your life as markers where the Lord breaks in. You know, in a society where People are always rising up for the next debate, the next thing to be fought for, the next thing to defend. They may not know the Bible or the Bible's interpretation of it or use any phrase anywhere near it. But what is really happening is they're having their eyes opened to the fact that creation is groaning as it awaits its redemption and they want to somehow be part of that redemptive story. Romans 8, 22 says, we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So what does a centered set mindset start to do in these moments and on these occasions? It sees it as an on-ramp to a deeper conversation. That's all we do, we just see that moment as an on-ramp. When we meet people exhibiting one of those four points, one of those on-ramps, it may be that that person is stirring for something more of the kingdom of God, something more of the face of Jesus. And he, I believe, invites us into it to not build a wall, but to build a well to extend the kingdom and to knock down a wall. For this to be a reality, I think we've got to look at our own lives. We've got to tell a, a better story. We've got to model a better story and invite people into that story. We have to learn to be family. We have to learn to act like family. We have to learn to speak and to behave like family. You know, sometimes I, I believe one of the best things I offer people is that I model 
that I love Steph and I love my children and how that works in my life, that I speak gently and kindly to them, that I encourage and affirm them, that we seek to have fun together as a family, that I teach my kids how to throw a ball, how to catch a ball. Those are kingdom things because they're kingdom values, because ultimately the Father calls us to do those things and to be those things. We've got to tell and model a better story, and we've got to invite people into that story. Imagine if Jesus was mayor of this city. I, I really like Andy Burnham, but, but imagine if Jesus was mayor. Well, what would that look like? How would he want to strengthen families? How would he go about seeking fair wage and adequate employment? How would he care for the children and the elderly? How would he care for those that don't have a voice? That's what it is to love and serve the poor. We want to find those who don't have a voice and give them a voice. How would he seek for people to be educated? You know, we're seeking to tell an alternative story of what life could be, one day fully will be, but in now we believe that the kingdom can break in, and it can be. You see, we aren't fighting culture. We're creating culture by letting the gospel engage in every domain of humanity, healthcare, education, economics, communication, the arts, and so on and so on and so on. Why are we externally focused? Because that is what it is to be kingdom. We're engaged in many things that don't directly or necessarily benefit the church in any way. But if we only had a church mentality, we'd have packed this thing up a long time ago. Because it isn't about increasing attendance or getting people to do certain things in a certain way to build what some might see as church. We may never see some of those things ever happen. We might do. But that's not the drive. The drive is the kingdom. The drive isn't the church. The drive is the kingdom. And the drive is to build wells, not to build walls. So what do we do? Well, we start to sink wells. Because people of good faith can partner with people of goodwill. And as we start to do that, we start to realise that we can find more and more common ground. And at times, work with unlikely partners to achieve something far greater than any church could achieve on its own. That's what I believe is currently happening with 422. It's staggering. It's mind-blowing. If you are, Shahan mentioned it, if you're available or free on Monday and Tuesday, we're kind of pushing for something that we need to do on Wednesday. If you're around, we'd love your help with that. But to be honest, it's not just the story of 422. It's the story that's been happening all along. It's interwoven in this journey we're on as a church. It was the story of Manchester citizens. It was the story of some of the local children's centres and the journey of seeing some of you engage with local schools and seeing how you're engaging with your workplaces and various groups as you start to breathe life into those environments as you start to sink and build wells rather than walls. We start to ask, well, who else cares about underperforming school children? Who cares about the single mums and the fatherless children? We're going to find a lot of common like-minded people when we start to ask those questions as we start to sink wells and build wells rather than walls. Because a centred set mindset matters because we start to say things like, do you care about what I care about? Are you passionate about the things that I'm passionate about? We don't say, I can't work with you because you don't believe what I believe. But we start to say, but I can work with you 
because we do care about the same thing. What does that look like? What would it be for you to, to be a well rather than a wall? If I bring that down to you in your individual personal life, I think often we can harness this drawbridge mentality. You know, when life gets hard, when life doesn't go the way we planned, we start to pull up the drawbridge and we back off. I don't think we're called to that kind of lifestyle. That's the exact point that we need to be real and we need to be vulnerable. It can be so easy to carry a chip on our shoulder, especially right now, don't you find? In this current climate, there's so much that we could easily trip over each other with, so much that feels divisive, so much pain around how different people have and are acting and responding in a COVID world. We've got to deal with our stuff, otherwise our stuff deals with us. You know, we've got to be people that commit to building wells rather than walls. What does that look like for you among your own family, in the church, in your small group, in your workplace, in your uni course? To do exactly that, to go and sink a well rather than build a wall, to extend the kingdom. I believe, honestly, every act is going to count. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the, the plus one mindset? Every act, every plus one moment is going to bring a change. It's going to make a difference. It's exactly the same with the carry the water bottle mentality up the stairs. It's going to have a ripple effect because we start to create on-ramps for people. We start to choose grace rather than frustration. We start to choose generosity rather than selfishness. We start to choose to step aside from ourselves, we start to give away power rather than to try and hold on to it. We start to choose to believe in people rather than only seeing their failings and challenges that they present us because they didn't do something in the way we hoped or wanted. So often we build a wall because we have our thinking, our agenda, our way of doing things. It needs to be like this. All that really does is build a wall. Jesus taught his disciples, as, as you will know, that they should seek first in priority and importance the kingdom. Matthew 6 verse 33, seek the kingdom of God all, above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Even after his death and resurrection, the kingdom was still central to his teaching. Unless Matthew, Mark and Luke have somehow all got it wrong, those who want to live like Jesus must place the kingdom at the centre of their thought and action. Unless we have a kingdom perspective, we're likely to reduce the ministry that we do outside the walls of the church just to be a programme. The problem is as soon as we place emphasis on a programme, it just becomes a, like a one-off tactic. That's not what we're about. The kingdom isn't a programme. God has called us to be the church, to live out the kingdom, whether it builds the church or not. It's about the welfare of the city, not the well-being of the church. Again, please hear me. Honestly, I love the church. I don't want you to misunderstand me, but the church is different to the kingdom. Jesus builds the church and the church helps extend the kingdom. And the church becomes the embodiment of what it looks like when people are living under the reign and the rule of Jesus. The church serves as living proof of the kingdom. A community where people can see what a marriage, what family life, what business practices, what work habits, what generosity, what, 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 all starts to live like when it's lived under the reign and rule of Jesus final point if that first point was a point but it all rolls in and this is a short one so don't panic because we're not even doing points but all of that 
All of that sounds really lovely, doesn't it? But how does, that, how does the rubber hit the road? Well, the kingdom has got to have a king, surely. Sometimes I think we live for the kingdom, but we forget that there needs to be a king of that kingdom. Jesus' life was bookended by the reminder of the fact that he was a king. I've run out of bookmarks, so I'm not going to read it from the Bible, but trust me, honestly, it's there and you can check. Matthew 2, 1 to 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of the king, Herod. Around that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw as a star rose and we've come to worship him. He was a king before Pilate. John 18, 37, Pilate said, so you're a king? Jesus was even called a king to those hanging on the cross. The thief hanging on the cross next to him asked to be remembered in his kingdom. It says Luke 23, 42, Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is a king. Now, my biggest nervousness and hesitation about us being centered set in our mindset is I think sometimes we think that means we can hold things loosely and think that anything goes Hey guys, like, you know this, this vineyard tribe? <laughs> well, their thinking is you can kind of do anything you like, as long as Jesus is roughly in the, in the middle and that's your direction of travel. But nobody's really bothered how you live. That honestly couldn't be further from the truth. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. Kingdom work is introducing people to the king because it's helping to bring his perspective, his values and structures to the world that we live in. For us to do that, we have to hold the king front and centre in our own individual lives. When the light is on a stand, it's going to be displayed to all that are around to see new expressions of God among us. We're going to need to press for new expressions of transformation in us. Can I say that again? Not to patronise you, but I just believe it's important. If we're going to see something significant in this city and we're going to see a move of God, we're going to have to see a greater move of God in our lives because we're the carriers of that kingdom in that way. To show others the on-ramp, we've got to be on that on-ramp ourselves. A centred set is one that says, come as you are, absolutely come as you are, but don't stay as you are. We need to be people of change and people of transformation. I hope that's helpful. In a moment, we're just we're, we're going to invite the the Lord to move among us. In fact, Steph, do you just want to join me? But be, before we do that, I just I don't know. I I kind of want to model the thing that we believe that the Lord is among us. This isn't about us. This is about all of us. So I I think um, we all get to do this. I hope you believe that, and I hope you see that. But I, I'm just going to pray now that the Father is going to speak to a number of you for some of us in the room because I believe that he does and he will and I think we want to be people that equip each other to know that reality and to live in it so what, what I think I'm trying to say is we'll spend a moment where I think the Lord is going to give some of you some insights particularly into physical conditions for other people in the room and then we'll just spend a moment some of you might want to shout them out you might want to share them and then I dare say a number of other people will respond to you. And it's not about, honestly, it's not about getting it right. 
I believe it's about obedience to what you believe the Lord is saying. So some of you will get a, a mental picture, some of you will get a physical sensation, some people will see it written, some of you it will just be like a random word that will come to you. I once, let me just give you, a, what time is it? Quick story, right? I, I, um, I'm stood in, um, I did this in a youth setting, and this, this young lad shouts out camel, and I'm like, oh, great. Like, I was expecting somebody to say, like, I've got pain in my neck, or you've had, you know, whatever it is. He goes, camel. All the youth just laugh. That's the end of it. Absolutely finished it off. Everyone walks out. This young little lad is sat in the corner crying. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? He's like, I said to God that if he's real, somebody's going to have to say camel. And I was like, what the? I, I was blown. I was, but they're the most. I want, I want you to know the Lord speaks to you and the Lord will speak to you and for each other because that's what he does. It's not about getting it right. It's not about success. It's about obedience to what he might want to say. So, Lord, I just pray now, come and speak to us. Come and speak to each of us for each other. This is what you do. Lord, we want to do what we see the Father doing. So, Father, would you do something among us this morning? Give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, hearts and voices to respond in obedience and in faith. Call us again as we sang this morning into faith. Jesus. do is um, in, a, in a little while we'll stand up and we'll respond to some of these but I think some of you, the Lord will just be pressing something on you and you don't feel shy or embarrassed, you might just want to shout it out and share it and then at the end we'll, we'll gather some people to those people that respond at the size and people will pray over them and I encourage you as well if you share something you might want to then pray for someone because the Lord sometimes gives you something to give it away so when, if, if you have anything, don't don't be shy, why don't you shout them out? You're my brother and I love you. Say that again, sorry. Arthritis. He lives in other arthritis. Right foot. Right foot. Condition in the left hip. Left hip. It can be sometimes in these moments, Paul and I have both had it, where you suddenly get a pain in a part of your body that you didn't have before. And often that can be the Holy Spirit just highlighting that to you because there is someone who perhaps, you know, is experiencing something, a pain in that part of the body. So if that's happening to you, that could be what it is. Don't freak out and start thinking, oh my goodness, I've suddenly got a new condition. <laughs> um, it could be that actually that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That um, has happened to me a number of times before and actually it's happening to, to me now. Um, and I, I've got like, my heart is fluttering in a way that it's sort of quite irregular. And um, mm. I think that potentially there could be someone who has palpitations and have actually been told that there's nothing to worry about, but it troubles you. Mm. It troubles you that you get repeated palpitations. Um, so that's one. And the other is um, sciatica.
we're not going to rush this, so um, yeah, do feel free to keep shouting things out as they come to you. migraine in your left eye and there was a stomach condition. I don't know if that came out. Father, we love it when you speak to us and I pray that we would learn to listen and to hear and to spend time in your presence. So, Father, speak to us. I think um, there's a, uh, there's like, oh, this is a bit weird, but it's like a rotating deafness that somebody has where it goes from your left side to your right side. It just, it's like intermittent. You just find yourself going slightly deaf. Um, I also think there was something around what I was uh, speaking about around the wells, not walls, that some of you, are, you, there's two things. Some of you just feel constantly, um, that you're coming up against walls. Some of you have a real heart for, for digging wells, and I think the attack thing really links to it. Don't want to make too big a thing of it, but some of you just at the minute feels relentless um, attack. Why don't, why don't we stand? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.